the middle of the coronavirus pandemic, it's a tough time these days to open any kind of business, let alone a restaurant. But we're seeing some local top chefs doing just that. On this episode of our podcast, we explore the latest project from local celebrity chef Richard Blaze, who will soon run a new restaurant in Carlsbad at a hotel. Richard joins us to talk about Ember and Rye, set to open this spring at the Park Hyatt Aviara. And believe it or not, he's nervous about it. This will be his second local restaurant, and there are a lot of eyes on him. Can he repeat the success of Juniper and Ivy in the middle of a pandemic? He talks to us all about that. They've seen me on a television screen. They know that there's a certain level of anxiety and stress that exists within the uh, persona as is. I'm working on it, but I mean, it's really just, you know, uh, that, that concept that you're only as good as the last thing you do. We'll also catch you up on the latest enforcement efforts by San Diego County officials to keep local restaurants following the current pandemic restrictions. The truth is, it seems it's getting harder to both enforce and follow the takeout-only rules under our current stay-at-home order. You are listening to our Scene in San Diego podcast. Hi, Candice. Monica. It's so good to virtually see you again. You too. It's been a couple really, really long weeks. So I was really missing our catch up sessions and excited to talk about this kind of stuff with you again today. So everything going okay over there? You know, as good as it can be. Good. I'm glad. Well, so today we're going to talk a little bit about uh, hotel restaurants. Uh, We want to talk a little bit about hotels the dining scene here in San Diego. Um, Now, you know, when you think of a typical hotel restaurant, you don't necessarily think of amazing food. It's it's usually more like convenient, right there, don't have to leave my hotel type of food. But San Diego's hotel dining scene is a bit different, right, Candice? It is. I think a lot of our local restaurants shine in the dining department, at least when we're not under pandemic restrictions. But the AR Valentine at the Logitory Pines and 910 Restaurant Bar at the Grand Colonial in La Jolla are two examples that are top-notch restaurants in their own right. And then there's Soraya, the newest restaurant by Chef Jojo Ruiz at the Hotel Del Coronado. Right. Soraya is temporarily closed right now due to the the stay-at-home order, but it opened in the summer of 2019 as the fresh anchor restaurant at the Dell. So yeah, I'd say that San Diego's hotel dining scene is more than solid. And it's only getting better now with some local Top Chef stars joining the mix. Uh, So last month, if you'll recall, we had the pleasure of having local Top Chef star Claudette Zepeda join our podcast to talk about her latest project, Vaga, which is a restaurant that's set to open this year at the new Alila Marea Beach Resort in Encinitas. We've been doing this for a really long time, so I feel confident that we'll be able to float together. And the team that I'm building, I'm super excited about. The hotel is supposed to open next month, and Claudette is prepping to follow suit with the opening of Vaga there. And that restaurant, as she told us, is going to be different than anything she's ever done before. And now celebrity chef and Del Mar resident Richard Blaze is also opening a new restaurant at a hotel, Ember and Rye at the Park Hyatt Aviara in Carlsbad. It's a big project for the top chef star, and he, of course, wants it to be really, really good. Richard joined our podcast to talk all about the project and how he's feeling about launching something this big during the pandemic. Let's take you into our conversation with Richard Blaze. 
we really appreciate you joining us today to talk about Ember and Rye. Uh, we're very excited for you, and we really have been enjoying looking at the new projects coming up this year. After such a rough year, it's nice to talk about, you know, potential openings and good things hopefully starting to happen. And you know, getting our restaurant scene back a little bit here. So um, I know that last week you mentioned to Candace that you're a bit nervous about this particular project and you have so much experience. So why the nerves? Um, sorry, my, my, my daughter just walked in with a new cat that we just rescued. So it caught my attention. I'm like a cat myself. I get distracted very easily. Um, why the nerves? Uh, I mean, I... You know, I mean, I just, you're only as, only as good as the last thing that you do. So, I mean, I think that's, I'm one, if people, they've seen me on a television screen, they know that there's a certain level of anxiety and stress that exists within the uh, persona as is. I'm working on it. Um, but I mean, it's really just, you know, uh, that, that concept that you're only as good as the last thing you do. And, and for me, it's, you know, whether that's a restaurant, whether it's this podcast, you know, it's, it's understanding that and just trying to do as good as I can. Right. Because you also fall in this, right? Like it's the first time someone who's listening to this podcast, it'll be the first time they ever hear of me or speak to me or listen to me. Um, so it's, you're always trying to make this first impression. Definitely. Can you tell us a little bit, Richard, about, um, what you're hoping to accomplish with this restaurant? Yeah. I mean, I mean, I, I always, I don't want to give you just like such a simple answer, but I want to cook for people and make them happy. And I think that that is the driving for, hopefully that's the driving force behind, you know, every chef and, and the ultimate goal of what we're trying to do. Um, you know, I always joke that like, you know, most of us chefs were like unloved as children and we're just trying to express, get, get some of that love, you know, back uh, by, by cooking for people. Um, but that really is, you know, it, it's not cliche. That's what I'm trying to do. Um, and especially as you mentioned in the open, uh, during these moments where like you, you know, we're all very grateful for the things that we have for everything that we have had. Um, and one of those simple joys is just cooking for someone, you know, creating a menu and letting, you know, being around other people celebrating their life, you know, with your food or in your establishment. So the goal is to make people happy. And of, of course we'd like to make lots of people happy. So then you get into the business goal, which um, I, I, is something that also, you know, 10 years ago as a chef, I didn't want to cook for 500 people a night. You know, I, I okay, I kind of still don't. Um, but I do want to cook for 300 a night. And, you know, uh, when I was a younger chef, oh, I just want to cook for 50 people a night and I just want to do my cuisine. And, um, no, I want to make everyone happy. And it doesn't matter to me if you want a steak well done or a hamburger, um, I just would like to be a part of that joy. So, and it works out business-wise. Obviously, you want to cook for more than, you know, 50 people a night. Oh, man, steak well done. That just hurt my heart a little bit. Listen, I, well, I, and, and listen, I'm, I don't recommend it. Um, but, I, but I do, I mean, even though if we, if we start getting into like the cook's, you know, instinct is like, you know, what does is, what is well done mean? Like we automatically go to like burnt, right? That's not necessarily what it means. You know, it means cooked all the way through at that perfect moment that it just happens to be cooked all the way through. I guess what I'm saying is you can have a delicious piece of well-done meat. I, not how I eat it, not how you eat it. Yeah, um, it's a fine but, line. Yeah, but there's this misconception like, oh, well-done means, you know, you throw it in the back of the oven and you forget about it or you, you drop it in the deep fryer. These are old, you know, uh, old things chefs used to do, you know, 20 years ago. But 
you know, I just want to make people happy. With, you know, with rest, independent restaurants currently facing so many challenges, is there, you know, a, a bigger sense of security being attached to a hotel? Mm. And do you think you'd be even more nervous opening a standalone restaurant right now? Uh, I mean, I think yes. And I mean, I mean, I think it's, it's, uh, it's nervy regardless of, of what you're trying to do right now in this time. And, you know, you, you know, you might say off the battle, well, there's a, a, a larger establishment and there's a, a larger brand behind uh, Ember and Rye and that, that gives it security. But, you know, I've, I've also learned that regardless of, you know, how much money or backing is behind a project, everyone generally treats the, their money and their success the same way. Um, meaning if it's not working, it's not going to work. And there's no, there's no security, I don't think, in the restaurant business. So I'm not you know, feeling secure because we have this amazing support. We do. We have this amazing system and structure behind it. Um, but at the end of the day, the food has to be delicious and that's what will make it happen. And as far as COVID in these times, you know, it's all day by day. We know that, right? Um, I do feel for everyone in this industry and, and at every level. And I think that's been a tough thing for me, you know, to absorb over these last 10 months, 11 months is, you know, rooting for everyone and again trying to just find those moments of gratefulness and then also I'm an eternal optimist generally speaking I try to be and you know I think maybe even too early for me I was trying to talk about well what happens when this is over and what happens when there's the rebirth of our industry and I was talking about you know morel mushrooms in the forest and they they, they grow morel mushrooms notoriously grow only after forest fires and Early on in the pandemic, I was trying to say, you know, we're going to be the morel. Eventually, we're going to be the morel mushroom because everything got burned down now. But eventually, this beautiful organic thing is going to come from it. And I and I do believe that. But you know, as the months and months go by, it certainly is harder to convince yourself uh, that that's what's happening. Yeah. Well, we feel you on the uh, optimism front. We try to stay as positive as possible over here too, but it gets really hard. Yeah. And I tried, listen, I, I get different feedback, good and bad about, you know, the fact that I've been mostly in my backyard for 10 months, you know, making TikTok videos and, you know, trying to make myself smile, to be honest. And if it brings other people joy through that, those silly moments, then I'm all for it. Because again, I'm just trying to make people happy regardless of what the medium is. Uh, we're going to, we are going to do it. I don't, this, I, you've probably had so many episodes where it's like, we are coming back. And you know, the great thing now is like, there is a light at the end of the tunnel. It's not another train and uh, we are going to come back. And I, I think it's going to happen in these next couple months. Definitely. Uh, Richard. So San Diego definitely has no shortage of good steakhouses. What's maybe something new or different that you're hoping to bring onto the steakhouse scene with this, this new project? Well, I would say that it's, it is a, the one, the first thing is that it is a steakhouse of sorts, which is a phrase that I love because it gives me a little bit more uh, creative flexibility to determine what this restaurant will be. And I always say restaurants are, and I'm going to, not say this the, the right way, but, um, you know, when a baby is born, there's the, I think it's the, is it the fourth trimester or a baby's not done growing even after it's born. And that happens with restaurants. And I think one of the things that, you know, is always, you know, is scary for me is like when you say it's this restaurant is this, but then it opens and 90 days later, you don't know necessarily who the clientele is or what the kitchen is even really successfully executing. 
Um, so, you know, to me, like the, 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 the restaurant will develop its identity as it exists. And right now it is a steakhouse of sorts. And I think what's important to say that is that the format of the menu is of what you would think of as a traditional steakhouse is you have snacks, starters, uh, there's going to be a list of proteins cooked from the embers. Uh, and there's going to be a list of, um, you know, foraged and farmed vegetable side dishes. Um, that being said, we're going to pay homage to some of the classic steakhouse um, dishes and sides. There, there will be a prime rib night. I'm really excited about it, quite honestly, because I like to eat prime rib, you know. Um, there's going to be a, either a baked potato cooked in these dying embers of the grill and or a celery root replacing a baked potato. Um, you know, we will have cream spinach, but in the spring, the base of the cream spinach will be artichoke puree. In the winter, it'll be parsnip puree. Um, and we're going to have tons of vegetables and product that just come into the back door because we're in San Diego and there's just amazing farmers and vendors. And I went to Chino Farms yesterday because I'm doing a, a, a shoot for something else. Um, and like, I don't know what's there when I show up, they, this, whatever's there. And I, you know, I see three new ingredients I've never seen before. And, you know, I'm talking to you today, but I, I learned about fava bean leaves yesterday. So it's hard to say what's going to be on the menu because most likely fava leaf uh, will be on the menu now. So you know how it goes. Is that, is that something that you sort of never had before, before cooking in San Diego? That the, kind of, you know, availability? Yeah, yeah, 100%. I remember when I, again, I've been out here now uh, eight years, I guess, something like that. And I remember California chefs who I was friends with before I became a Californian telling me, you know, this is going to totally change the way that you cook and think about food. And um, I was, you know, okay, I'll, we'll see what happens. Um, and then, you know, you come out here and you realize, like it is right now, that you can have, you're, we're eating strawberries. I mean, it's not really, we're not in the peak of it, perhaps, but like you're eating strawberries in January and then you send one of your chef friends, I'll call him out, Wiley Dufresne, I'll send him a picture later and I'll show him a strawberry and he'll, he'll, be, he'll question why I'm, you know, uh, featuring a strawberry from Chile or wherever. I'm like, no, this is, this is from two blocks down the road from my new restaurant because strawberries, the seasons are totally different. I mean, Wiley knows this, but yeah, it, it totally opens up um, your, you know, your ability as a chef because there's so many wonderful products walking in your door and the season's become multiple. It's not just four seasons, you know, it's 16 seasons and hard squash and tomatoes live at the same time. I'm talking too much. I'm sorry. Well, I was just going to say eight years into San Diego living and I think we can officially claim you. So you are San Diego's just so you know. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it's someone, someone asked this, someone on my Instagram the other day was like, come back to San Diego. And like, you know, it made me realize that I'm not, I don't do a great job at maybe proclaiming, um, you know, where I'm based. And I think one of the things when you sort of have a little bit of national exposure is that people have no idea. Some people think I live in Atlanta. They think I'm from New York. They think I live in LA. Um, but yeah, this has been home for eight years I, and, and it will be um, for most likely the next eight years. I mean, uh, I love it here. I, I, mean, I, I said, I always say before the pandemic, I travel every other day, like truly hundreds of planes sometimes a year. And I never feel bad landing back in San Diego. And I can't say that about it anywhere else I've lived, you know, where like you come home, you're like, oh, the grind of this or oh, I'm back here. No, like when you land in San Diego, and maybe it's because we have a picturesque airport too that like just floats in over our, our downtown scene there. I always feel good about landing here. So uh, it's not to bring us down, but <laughs> I kind of want your take on 
what your biggest worry is about the, you know, the general industry right now. What do you, what do you think some kind of lasting changes might be to just how the way restaurants mm. operate? Well, I mean, uh, I'll, how about I try and flip it and okay. give you maybe <laughs> the optimistic approach. I think one of the things that I realized early on and a lot of operators, you know, realized was the idea of the third party delivery app or to go food or, you know, pick up, right? These, these, all of these things, a drive through, like if, if you said all of those things to the traditional fine dining chef, they probably would have scoffed at you a year ago and said, you know, we're not going to have a drive through. We don't, we don't even like to put food in, in to go containers. Right. I mean, there's, and there's nothing wrong with that. That's the way our industry was. And some restaurants that were already, you know, doing third party delivery realized that it was becoming pre pandemic. It was becoming a big chunk of business. I mean, we're talking 20% to 30% of some, you know, um, you know, restaurant tours business was, was, was third party apps, delivery takeout. Now it's obviously, you know, 90% or whatever. Uh, so I think that's a good change that's going to come, right? Because you, people are going to be able to figured out a way to get their food to people without them coming into their restaurant. Um, so that's one positive thing that I think is happening. Um, I think the um, eventual rebirth, restart of potentially smaller restaurants and smaller dining rooms, I think we will see because um, there might be some, you know, aversion a, a to opening up a 400-seat restaurant, right? Because that's, that might be tough to fill over the next year, for sure. Um, where else? Keep me on track here. I'm trying to keep it positive. <laughs> well, I mean, do you think that when you think about kind of what, what you want to do in the future, like I'm, I'm sure you have a million ideas and plans, has, has this whole, you know, pandemic experience affected how you mm. might, you know, approach those? Mm -hmm. Well, actually, yes. Um, but I also realized one, another good thing that's happened from, uh, you know, again, trying to find the, the, the good things. <laughs> I appreciate right? that. Um, when was the last time you saw Thomas Keller cooking on social media pre-pandemic, right? When did you see, I mean, these are friends of mine. I worked for Thomas Keller, obviously. Um, you know, uh, Grant Atkins, who's another good, uh, big friend, a friend of mine. These are people, yeah, they're, they're on social media. But like you see Andrew Zimmerman, who's basically cooking a whole TV show every night. Um, chefs who maybe weren't even in front of your screen, mm -hmm had to adapt and that, and, then, and we're all better for that. Right. Like I, I will watch and it, I worked for Thomas Keller, but I'd want to want, I want to watch him make eggplant Parmesan for 20 minutes <laughs> on IGTV live. Like, um, so I think that's been a good thing. And I think that, that as well, there, 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 there did exist pre pandemic, the celebrity chef, serious restaurant chef. Yes. It crosses all the time, but now I think we're totally, it, it's, it's has to be, Submersive is that the word, or is it immersive? Um, there's there can't be a line anymore. Yeah, connecting and humanizing and right, and it, and it grows and it grows that restaurant or that brand, and it connects you to the chef more. And like again, we're all better for that. Yeah. Uh, as far as what it how, how will it change me? I mean, more again, just trying to be more grateful, right? Um, trying to not you know, fill my world with anxiety and stress that doesn't need to be there about things like catching an airplane or, you know, quite honestly, even being five minutes late to this podcast, right? Like uh, this, this pandemic has taught me to be like, Hey, you know, like 
I'm going to be there. I'm, I'm late, but I, I, you know, I don't want to upset. I want to make you happy. Right. As podcast hosts, I'm a podcaster as well. Like, ah, oh, I can't believe I'm ruining this. I don't want my brain to be filled with all of that stress. It's fine. There's no, no concept <laughs> of time anyway, right now. This, that's true. So. <laughs> yep. Richard, do you hope to open more restaurants in San Diego in the future after Ember and Rye? I know most people are, are probably wondering about that. Um, I mean, I always, you know, I do love just being creative and I love, you know, having a full plate, so to speak. And, you know, whether that's uh, actual like restaurant or whether it's consulting or, you know, working with different brands. Yes. So I, I want to keep growing um, as a business person, as a entrepreneur, which is a word that I think I created. Um <laughs> Like talk to it. Don't don't. We're not going to start that. Um, hashtag entrepreneur. There are t-shirts. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I would love to. Um, you know, it's it's obviously not not easy to find investment or partners, um, especially now. But yes, I, I would love to continue um, because I love restaurants, and that that's something that uh, I've always gone back to. And one of the things I'm I'm really internally very proud of is from the first moment I ever appeared on Iron Chef, which was pre my Top Chef days, that I've never not had a restaurant project or an operation going to the whole time because it becomes that moment where you're like, do I even want to do this? Because I can just sit in front of my screen or I can do a couple TV shows. I can just hang out. I love restaurants. I'll never not be a restaurant chef, regardless of the other things I'm doing. So we've had conversations over the years about national recognition, you know, or the lack thereof for San Diego. When you're out there in the, in the larger culinary world, what do people say about us? Have, have you seen any like bigger awareness of, or interest in the food scene here? You know, I mean, I, I'm, we're all local. So, I mean, we're all fighting the same fight here. And I think we, you know, there, we went through that moment where like, it seemed like, the general region was having its moment, but it was mostly um, Mexico, right? Like it was like, you, you landed in San Diego. Oh, this is great. Oh, oh, okay. <laughs> this, all, these, all these pieces are going to be about Mexico, which is amazing, by the way. And like, I think that's great. And I think, you know, give love to any city that deserves it. And um, it is tough. One of the things I love about being, uh, live, living in San Diego is I love being the underdog. I really do. I just think... I root for teams that are the underdog, generally speaking. Don't quote me. Someone's going to be like, oh, I'm pretty sure I saw you in the Dodgers hat. Um, but I like the idea of being the underdog. And, you know, San Diego is the underdog city of this state, right? Um, and, you know, a lot of people don't know our geography. So they're like, oh, L.A. is so different. Like, it's, dude, it's 30 miles. It's 35 miles. It's the same workforce. We don't have Hollywood. And that's the only difference, Right. Um, we have the same produce as you're talking about food. It's the same workforce and the same produce. And, uh, and, and guess what? The same great chefs are, are, are here as are in LA or San Francisco. Um, but yeah, we, we, we certainly get passed by more than we should. And I, we collect, you know, collectively. Yes. Do you have like a go-to restaurant in your neighborhood or elsewhere um, that you've maybe gone to a lot during the pandemic or even pre-pandemic that you just really like going to? 
Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's important to always keep things real. And, um, you know, with, with young kids and a young family and not eating, you know, chefy food all the time, like you will find me at Rubio's and Chipotle more than uh, people would think. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> I, I, I don't, 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 don't judge me. Don't judge me. Um, Gotta keep the kids happy. We'll never keep judge. keep the kids happy. I'm mean, dad's eating too, right? Um, yeah. yeah, for sure. I mean, and then like I did, I had some crack shack to go the other night and, you know, I, I do, I did fall into that. Well, you know, if I, I live in, you know, the Del Mar area. So like I, I, when I'm home, I don't like to travel too much. Right. So I'm going to, um, Al Boar's, which is a Persian restaurant that's been there forever, like right near where I live and getting, you know, um, some euros and shawarma and, you know, Mediterranean food. Um, so pretty, pretty simple, pretty simple stuff for me when I'm home and in my own, you know, in my own restaurants or where I'm operating. So like right now it's, you'll, you'll find me eating, you know, testing out steaks and swordfish chops and, you know, cooking the food that we're testing. And apparently tons of bread samples behind you. <laughs> or at least giving them to the kids. <laughs> yeah. Well, they, yeah, my, yeah. My daughter had a piece of French toast, the size of a skateboard the other day. Oh my God. <laughs> and She's loving it. <laughs> why not? That's awesome. And you mentioned, you know, you've been watching some of these uh, great chefs cooking online and on social media platforms and whatnot. Um, what have you been cooking at home, you know, other than gigantic French toast? What are what are the kids asking you for? Actually, Jasmine Blaze made the French toast. Um, oh, nice. And I, and I will say one of the other thing that's really happened during this pandemic is I realized my wife is a better uh, cook than I am, um, which is, you know, really like I will say is really like it hits my ego every once in a while. She makes mm -hmm. delicious food. She follows she follows recipes and then she, you know, she makes things healthier and uh, she's just a great, a great, a great chef. She's, she's earned the title over, you know, she was just like a lot of us. She was like, I'm making, you know, tartines sourdough on day one of the pandemic. And like, well, <laughs> um, I've been cooking a lot on the grill. I've been sitting and a lot of this concept, Ember and Rye, obviously the, you know, cooking from the embers, although this was not named, but the concept was working pre pandemic it really came about mostly because I've been sitting in my backyard watching wood burning on a grill and figuring out like, what else can I throw in the fire? Um, so it's been a lot of grilling. I went through a, a little barbecue phase. Um, and then of course it's just like, you know, playing around with great, you know, local vegetables. Um, so simple, simple stuff. Yeah. Yes. There's a, but yes, there's a liquid nitrogen tank in the backyard just so I don't lose my street cred. Um, <laughs> it is out there. That's awesome. Yeah, Candace and I have talked about how I don't know if we would have survived without our grills at home. It's just uh, such an essential right now. Right. And like, we're blessed that we can be outside for the whole year, mostly. Right. And like, just things like that, where, you know, friends that I have and family I have in New York or Chicago, wherever it is, like, it's not the case everywhere. So yeah. uh, we're blessed. Yeah. Don't send those pictures. Don't, don't be cruel. cruel. No, I know. I know. You said earlier you're really looking forward to, you know, getting back to cooking for people. What's, what's something else that you miss about just being in a restaurant, both from a chef and a diner perspective? Um, so, I mean, certainly from the dining perspective, just that, you know, even when you get takeout, you got to open the containers up, right? Like you're, you're still, you're, you're, you're at its best, right? You're still, you know, I mean, and now I love this, that like chefs have instructions and how to plate and people have really created their own, you know, brands, you know, through the pandemic in that way. 
Um, but it's the idea of being taken care of, right? Total hospitality, being able to sit down. Um, and so I miss, I miss that. You know, I mean, honestly, like, I think we are, are all, you know, you know, I'm, I wear my mask all over the place, but like it, 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 it there's, you know, there is that relief now when you when you take a mask off, right? It's like when you get home and you have your work clothes on, and you're like, yeah, now I'm in, I'm in, I'm in my sweatpants. Like, uh, I, I will enjoy a moment when when we can congregate without masks, you know. Also, because I try to be funny, I don't know if it's come across on this podcast at all. It's been, it's, but <laughs> it's it's hard to read your material if you can't see people's mouths and and. Uh, <laughs> Or to even check in, you know, if you were, like right now, of course, we're cooking in masks, but when you check in with your team, it's hard to see if they're having a good day, you know, just based off of their, uh, of their eye, you know, the, the, the little part of their eyes you can see. So I'm looking forward to being able to see people smile. Like, we, like this is great. Like, yeah. thank goodness for, you know, technology in this regard. We can see each other and we don't have to have masks on. What is it like cooking in a hot kitchen with a mask on? Yeah, well, again, this, this uh, you know, I mean, e- even hotter and, e- you know, uncomfortable and, uh, you know, I, and, and, you know, it's hard to hear. We all know, you know, all the problems we all have, um, it just makes it a little bit more difficult. I will say when it's cold, I enjoy the mask. I have realized <laughs> I just went for a hike this morning and I'm like, oh, my, the mask is actually really nice when it's cold. You know, you're out there like it's like it's like you're a snowboarder or a skier. You're like this. This works. I can I can get into this. Yeah, there you go with the optimism. Yep, I'm trying. That's funny that you said that. My my husband's a chef, and yesterday we were hiking with the kids too, and we had on our masks, and you know, me and the girls are like sweating, it's so hot. How do you do this? And he's like, "It's fine. Look alive. I do this all day long." <laughs> you know, so he's like, "Wow, I'm really like conditioned to wear this thing all the time in hot temperatures. I'm fine. I don't know about you guys, but I'm fine." Yeah, and I, and I do love. I mean, listen, the resilience of all of us, just as society, but also like in our industry, how we have been able to adapt and like. You know that there, there's some sunshine there too. It's like you know, oh, we're just we're we're going out. Grab your mask. Like look, we're we're going to get through this. You know, it's not going to be easy, but we will get through it, and we will. Yep. So, Richard, you're going to be appearing pretty soon as a guest judge on the upcoming season of Top Chef, set in Portland, as one of the show's popular alumni. So, um, are you basically done being a contestant? Do you prefer doing the judging route right now? I mean, I get this question a lot. I mean, you know, and it's like this, I, you know, I've, I've filled every role on a set that you can for a food TV show. And uh, do I like judging more than competing? Yes. That, that's, that's, I mean, I, I, I don't know who, who wouldn't say that, uh, but because it's just so stressful, right? We, we attach our whole career to every little dish that we cook in 20 minutes from a vending machine on whatever show it is. And someone tells us they don't like it and it breaks our hearts. Like, like uh, even now, and I've won, I've lost, but if I go do something tomorrow on TV as a competitor and I lose it, like will wreck me for days. Like, it's just, I don't know how athletes do it. I think actually that's what it is. Athletes are trained, you know, from a young age that you're going to win and you're going to lose. And like, you want to win seven times and lose three. And, and, and I don't think chefs really are chefs. Are, no one really judges chefs except for critics they get reviewed once every three years from three critics and that's, you know, that's it. So um, I like judging, but judging is harder than people think because you have to come up with 39 different ways to say it needs salt and, and, and 29 different ways to say it needs acidity. Um, and you also, 
you know, can fall into the trap of being like someone who just wants to find the negative thing. So it's, it's judging stuff. That all being said, hosting's the way to go. You want to host <laughs> a TV show, you get paid more money, and you don't have to do either of those things. And someone usually dresses you. So hosting is the way to go. Can you tell us, Richard, a little bit about your podcast? Yes. So uh, our po- my podcast, Food Court, which is just getting ready to film our, I guess, technically our third and fourth seasons, but our second run of production, um, you know, launched, I think the first day I went back and looked on my Instagram page, it launched on like March 16th or whatever, like the day after or two days after California got locked down. Um, and I, I think it actually was good for the podcast because a lot of people were looking for things to listen to. Mm-hmm. So Food Court is a show where two people like yourselves would come on and you would argue a serious topic like, um, you know, I don't know, like ketchup versus mustard, hot dogs versus hamburgers. Um, We've had, you know, uh, uh, noodles versus rice and people like serious things that people, uh, you know, foodies. Oh, did I say foodies out loud? Hi. Oh, that's on the band list. Oh, I know. I'm like, (laughs) literally like, please, like, please, like. Smack me on the hands. I don't know what has to happen. Okay. Um, people who love food come on and they argue about their pet peeves. Uh, and it's a lot of fun listening to someone argue about whether they love McDonald's or Burger King better. And uh, it, it, it's been great. We've done 30 episodes, I believe right around 30 and we're getting ready to record another 30 and uh, it's chefs and also just um, writers and actors and comedians, which I think is great because it's, you know, everyone has strong opinions about food. Absolutely. Cool. Well, thank you so much for your time today. So you will. Uh, so wait, uh, before we go, though, so I'm just, I, I need to now be the podcaster and okay. get, the, <laughs> get the verbal commitment from both of you that you will come on and argue a, a, and debate a topic. Oh my gosh, I don't want to fight with you, Candace. <laughs> <laughs> we get along really well. That makes me so sad. <laughs> but, but you know, maybe. I have strong opinions about food, so I could, yeah. I could get into that. I have strong opinions too. I'm <laughs> sure. part of the problem the, there, there, has, there has to be something that you disagree about when it comes to food. I'm sure. I'm sure there is. It's going to be a sad discovery, but I'm sure there is. <laughs> right. so you, you might be the end of our pa- podcast. That, that never, never. Listen, this is, I'm taking plan, this as, Blaise, interesting this is, plan. <laughs> this is listen. You compete once. This is how I do it. You compete once against each other, and then we'll put you on a team, and oh, and, and you perfect. go up against another team. Okay. Okay. I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time. We we appreciate it. This has been fun, and um, you know, we're we're thrilled that you're going to be opening up something new. We're gonna. Try to stay on the positivity train with you and uh, hope for for good things in the coming months for sure. Awesome. Thank you for everything that you do. And I, I look forward to cooking for you and everyone who's listening in person, hopefully very, very soon. Now, you guys know Candace and I love to dream about the future in a world where eventually San Diego's restaurant scene can recuperate from the COVID-19 crisis. New openings, new projects, they really fuel that hope for us, and we love talking about them. But the truth is, right now, San Diego County remains under the regional stay-at-home order that we've been under since December 6th. And for the dining scene, that continues to mean that restaurants, technically, under public health guidelines, can only offer takeout and delivery, no on-site indoor or outdoor dining right now. But if you drive around San Diego's communities, it's apparent that some restaurants are actually still seating people, believing that it's the only way to keep their businesses alive right now. 
And meanwhile, the county continues to serve cease and desist orders to local restaurants and businesses that are defying the public health order. And county officials say they will continue to ramp up those enforcement efforts. Earlier this month, uh, Mayor Todd Gloria's deputy chief of staff told NBC7 that San Diego Police Department officers had contacted dozens of restaurants and cited many others for not following the rules. We need to hold accountable those who choose to blatantly and egregiously defy public health orders. And as COVID-19 cases continue to climb in San Diego, non-compliant businesses remain under the microscope. On January 12th, the County Board of Supervisors voted to strengthen public health order enforcement, promising to keep the response, quote, fair and consistent with science and data. And under this new strategy, county compliance teams, they're going to be conducting inspections at businesses that have public health order complaints against them, and maybe even at some of those that don't. We're also going to give them the latitude and flexibility uh, to uh, independently observe people that are violated. It won't have to be exclusively a complaint-based system. Uh, and I think that that will be helpful, uh, along with, with also being able to investigate folks that are entities that are not following the safe reopening guidance. Right now, it's restricted to entities that are not allowed to be open, but they are. This will give us the ability to go into some of those places that are allowed to be open, grocery stores and big box retail, and make sure they are following the rules that they are supposed to follow. Nine more compliance teams have been added to the county's fleet, so now there are 39 enforcement teams deployed around San Diego. The board also agreed to increase citations for businesses violating public health rules, and that may mean that non-compliant businesses will be ineligible for county relief funds. San Diego County Supervisor Jim Desmond was the only board member last week to vote against this increased enforcement plan, and he has long been opposed and very vocal about the pandemic restrictions against local businesses, including restaurants. I can't support the increased enforcement on, on, on businesses. I, you know, I'm all for increased education, making sure enforcing health and safety protocols, but not on closing down businesses. I'm chastised for going out and talking to businesses that, that have remained open, trying to you know hear from them. And what I heard from them is their primarily complaint is they're being discriminated against. Business sectors are not all being treated fair and equally. So this back and forth continues to be a debate for the books in the middle of this pandemic. And it's certainly not the last time that I think we'll talk or, or hear about this. Yep, everyone I talk to has something to say about the rules, that's for sure. Me too. Well, with that, we will leave you this week. Thanks for hanging out with us. You can find many of the stories we talked about today on NBC7.com and in our Eater San Diego and NBC7 roundups, which publish every Friday on the scene section of NBC7.com. We also have links to everything we talked about today in our show notes articles on both sandiego.eater.com and NBC7.com. If you enjoyed our podcast, please subscribe to Scene in San Diego on Apple, Spotify, Google Play, or Stitcher, wherever you enjoy listening to podcasts. Bye, San Diego. We'll talk again soon.